Well, good morning. My name is Chad Puckett, and we got a kind of a weird season right now with so much sickness and and people in and out and stuff. So I just want to name some of that and just say we're also in a in a bit of a, a strange season of admin, admin, admin. There's my brain working on budget stuff all the time, but <laughs> advent. I think that's where we're at. We're in this advent season, and. We're in this walk through Advent, and you're like, I, I can feel it. Like you can almost feel the tension of, like, wait, we're in Advent. We're supposed to be talking about baby Jesus, and somebody just got up here and read about judgment. What are we doing? Like, that's the tension that we kind of stand in. And I, I, to that, I would just simply say, like, like, man, we're glad you're here. Hold on tight. It's going to be okay. We're going to walk through this, and we're going to see where real peace, real hope, real joy actually comes from. And, and so this passage ends in such a beautiful way. It says, like, let this encourage you. And so we read this seeing something beautiful in it. It's one of those moments in which we want to have something of a, a spiritual biblical eye exam. We want to we see this. And I, I say that as somebody who just went through a pretty severe eye injury in which it was like, Cindy, you've got to take me to the doctor. This is really bad. And it was one of those things in which I was like, hey, just uh, shoot me full of medicine. We'll get back in it and we'll get back in the game. And the guy like, he looks at me. I'm all but blind in this moment. And he's, we can't see light or anything. And he's like, you don't get it. This could heal up. You could, like your eye could heal or it could be a transplant. It was like, oh, sobriety kind of found me real quick. Like this moment. We had this picture this morning, I was just praying through what we were singing in the first service, and, and I just had this picture of, of being in a hurricane with an umbrella, which is the condition that so many of us find ourselves before God. And we fool ourselves, and we think that everything is okay when it is not. And the judgment of God isn't something that we avoid, it's something that we actually lean into for our good. It's a warning from a good father for us what does the judgment of god have to do with advent like that's the question like what how how, is it, how do we link all these things together well again we've just kept kind of pointing you back to this fantastic resource by fleming rutledge around advent it's a great book to pick up it's one that we just keep running back to and she's so winsome and so so helpful thinking through some of these things but i, I just want to give you a couple of uh, of just kind of nuggets that she gives to us she says this since the Advent season has been so closely linked to Christmas over the years, it may be startling to hear that Advent is not simply a transactional season, but in and of itself communicates a message of immense, even ultimate importance. Later on, she goes on and she, she says this, of all the seasons of the church year, Advent most closely mirrors the daily lives of Christians and of the church. It asks the most important ethical questions, presents the most accurate picture of the human condition, and above all, orients us to the future of the God who will come again. Again, what we've been saying is that Advent is most certainly about a baby, but it's not just about a baby. It's about a time in between, one who has come and one who is coming again. 
Because whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, if you're, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, thank you so much for coming. You are welcome with us. You are welcome with us. Because not for us to win an argument, not for us to, to like add to our numbers, like you are welcome with us because we simply believe that we have no other hope in this life or the next apart from Jesus. But whether you're here and you, you, you are a follower of Jesus or you're not, you live in a time between the historic person of Jesus being born and the biblical promise of him coming again. You live in the in-between. Whether you believe it or not, you are in this moment. And Advent tunes our heart. It tunes our heart to that, that crucial balance, that crucial balance between the now and the not yet. The moment of those tensions, the moment of those disappointment, the moment of the brokenness in the sin-filled world in which we find ourselves, the pain, the hurt, the loss, the death of dreams and the death of loved ones, it tunes our heart to this promised future glory. It tunes our heart and it answers. Advent actually redirects all that angst, all the anxiety of what tomorrow might bring. And it redirects it and it focuses it on that crucial question of like, man, like the, all of us feel like, like, does evil win in the end? Like, what, is this the end of the story? And Advent tells us no. No, there is a good day coming. And the judgment of God in all its ferocity is also a warning. It's a warning. It's a warning from a loving father for each of us. And so that's the work that we need to do. That the Bible makes this connection for us. Advent is being more than a history lesson. It's an invitation to, to wait and to long for something bigger and more beautiful. It's this connection that God makes between the judgment of God and our everyday lives. And it's right here. It's right here where we have to do the work between the great day and the everyday. That's the spot for us. And so this morning, I, I, I want to pray for you. And, and I want you to pray for me. I want us to do work here in the text together. And we'll kind of just take it in two simple parts. What does the Bible say about judgment? And why are we so freaked out by it? That's just kind of the two parts that we've got to, to sit in today. And so uh, pray with me as we do this. Father, we need your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to believe all that you have said. Help us to believe in this in-between that though our eyes do not see, you can be believed. You have come and you're coming again. And so God, help us to hear this. Help me to hear it and to my words to be that of a person who, who doesn't sit outside of this word. It, it, it actually sits underneath this word. Help my mouth to be one uh, of a preacher who rightly handles your word, but also like, as the heart of the Father to each and every person in here. But God, we pray for your prophetic edge of the word of God, which is sharper than a double-edged sword, to meet us this morning. To meet us this morning. And that we would feel that tension and the gap in, in what we say we believe and what we're actually living out. And so, Father, we, we pray that you'd meet us and that you'd stir us 
right now. Right now, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so like, we kind of start with the question, what are, what are we talking about? What are we talking about right here? In, in, in general terms, we're talking about the judgment of God, and this, this, this final judgment of God right before us. But what is that even? It's a, it's a warning. We've, we're given a text of scripture that has been written for us in the in-between before we actually stand face-to-face with God before that. And, and so what do we have in the text? We have a warning. We know it's not just Paul doing this. These are the words of God given to us in Scripture. The very breath of God. So we, we have a warning from the heart of God for people, whoever would open this book, to hear this warning. It's like, it's like that of a father in which I, I would tell my girls when they were growing up, like, don't touch the stovetop, right? It's not so that when they've touched the stovetop, it's not like I've seen in there like, oh, they're going to do it, and I'm going to get them. Or we would have the crack in the, in the driveway, the, the, the split in the driveway that was out there. It was like, don't walk past that. I wasn't hiding behind the tree being like, I can't wait till they get past it so I can get them. No, it was a warning. It was a warning that they don't know all that's out there. They don't know everything that's before them. But it is like, you will get hurt. And the word of God for us is a warning right here. And this is true throughout scripture. The, the, there are so many stories in scripture. The whole of scripture from the first page to the last is a warning for us. It's a love letter. It's all sorts of things. But it is certainly a warning from God of like, this is what's before you. It isn't a warning so that you'll get in trouble. It's, it's like saying, hey, there is a test coming. You should be prepared for it. And I go all the way back. I think whether you've grown up in church or not, you've been familiar or at least heard the story of Adam and Eve. Whether, whether you've been around church or not, you've heard that. You, maybe you grew up in a, a felt board world of that and there, there was all the stuff that went along. Adam and Eve in the garden and then these two people fall like into sin and there's, there's a serpent in there. And there's all sorts of stuff that's happening right there. But what often doesn't make the felt board and what, for, what we lose sight of is that these two sin. That's the basic of the story. These two sinned and they went outside of God's law. They went outside of that. In a place where they're walking in holiness with the very presence of God, like God in his holiness has nothing to do with sin. But these two people sinned, and so there's a problem right now that happens. But this is like Genesis 3 stuff. Literally in my Bible, this is page 3. Literally in that. And so what we get at the end of Genesis chapter 3 is this first death in the Bible. And God actually, they, they, they'd been naked and then they covered themselves, the old fig leaf stuff and their shame. They covered themselves. And yet God's like, man, your covering is insufficient. And God has the first death in the Bible. Just put yourself in the story for a second and say, just put yourself in there and think, think would Adam and Eve have ever forgotten that moment? Like crazy. This is blood everywhere. And now they're covered by something that was once living and is now not. That's page three of the Bible. 
page four, the very next chapter tells a story about two brothers, their kids. It doesn't tell us kind of the in-between. It doesn't tell us what happened in the life of Adam and Eve after that. It doesn't give us all those details, which I would love to know. I would love to know these details and stuff. What happened immediately after all of those things? Page four tells us about these brothers, and these brothers, like, we don't know everything that they know, but we know a couple of things. We know that these brothers knew, they knew something of God, and they knew that they had to, like, come to God with an offering, of their guilt. And so on page four of the Bible, you have these two brothers, Cain and Abel, that's their names, but it's Genesis chapter, you have these two brothers and they're like, what are we gonna do to come before God? And so one of them, it takes all the best things that he can find from the field and he brings everything and you can kind of you can kind of uh, see it it's like the greatest like edible arrangement that you've ever seen he pulls out everything and he's like put it in there and you know the bow on top was something special and here is this moment that he comes before God with his offering of all the best stuff he's got and he's like here it is i hope that you can forgive And the answer in that moment was, none of this is acceptable. And this is page four of the Bible, people. The other brother comes with a sacrifice. We don't know a lot. He comes with a sacrifice. And he says, here's this lamb that was sacrificed. God, that, that its blood would speak that its blood would speak. And from the very first pages of scripture, we get like, there is a God who will hold us accountable for our sin. And we see from from page three uh, onto page four, you see right here, like the only way that we have our sin dealt with is through a sacrifice. The only way is through a covering, not our own, this sacrifice that comes up on page three and four of all of this, that there is a judgment to come and the only hope that we have is sacrifice. We get that. We see this story kind of come and play out on and on through Scripture. And so you get to the flood. You get to the plagues. You get to uh, exile. You get to all these moments in Scripture that people will rightly come up and be like, wait, what does that have to do with it? It is God holding accountable this world. And they're all small, and they're all pointing to something much bigger. They're all pointing to the ultimate that will come and take away the sin. They're all pointing to, to a culmination of this in which there's one great hope that has come, and that is Jesus, born in a manger, who lived, died, rose again, and is coming. Like, that's the the huge story of Scripture, right? Except every page in between speaks like there's a king of kings, and he will hold each of us accountable. And this is what we see as we walk through these passages. This God, this God is coming back in this great day. He's not coming back hidden in a manger. He's coming back high and lifted up as the king in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and everyone will come before this King, Ecclesiastes says this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 says this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
Yeah, friends, like, I wrote this down. I actually wrote this down for me, and I think it's true for all of us. Resist the urge to turn away right here. Resist the urge to turn away. Romans says this, Romans 14 says, we will all stand before the, God, the judgment seat of God. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us, each one of us, each and every person who has lived and will live, each of us will give an account of himself to God. You get to the last pages of scripture and you get to Revelation 19 and Revelation 19 says this, hallelujah, this is the response of the people to God in glory, his final judgments. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. His his judgments are true and just. And so we're, we come to this passage in 1 Thessalonians and we say, what is going on? And read with me, chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. The words of God spoken to us say this. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The end of this passage, verse 11, actually says this. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And so he gives us this picture, and he goes, Paul goes directly to the tension. He says, there is a judgment coming, and every single one of us is going to sit before it. That's clear from every page of Scripture, right? God will hold us accountable for sin. But this is actually not meant to slap you on the hand or to say, sit up straight. It's actually meant to encourage your soul and stir you. It's actually meant to lead you to peace and to hope and to, to joy, to real joy. And not to beat you up. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. The final judgment of God isn't some scales that come out. And he's like, oh, well, I wonder if all your stuff's going to add up and you're going to win this one. That's not the final judgment of God. God knows your sin today. God knows. He's, these are not secret things to the Lord. God knows your sin. He knows my sin. He knows every bit of it today. Now, the final judgment of God is where he speaks justice and mercy. Sin will be dealt with, certainly. It will either fall on you or it will fall on that sacrifice. But sin will be dealt with and God will operate out of justice. The question is, is with the, this final judgment of God, will it be accompanied by mercy? Because the one and true substitute, the lamb that was pictured from page three to page four to page 500 and on and on in every page, the lamb that was pictured would be the lamb that covers you. 
Judgment is an absolute certainty of scripture. It's in every bit of this. It, justice and mercy mixed together is what this is. And the final judgment of God actually, uh, it, it leads to that question, like God, does, does evil win? Like these people have mistreated me. This circumstance is broken. This in, in life is such a mess. And this is so wrong. We, we like cry with the psalmist as we read these of like, how do you let this happen, God? And the final judgment of God actually brings us hope and life. And it says, no, God will deal with it. Every single sin will come before God. This just God, this merciful God, the, the wrongdoer, Colossians says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God will judge according to each one's deeds. It's because of the final judgment in which we see followers of Jesus can and should, can and should forgive one another. That we're able to forgive, one, because we're coming through the, the finished work of Jesus, but we also recognize that our hope is in him. Like, I don't have to go and make things right. God, in his justice, will make things right. God handles it. God has this. It's the final judgment. It's the final judgment that provides us with this motivation to live, to live each day in obedience to live a different life, one that is led by, by God, one that is pleasing to God, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of God. It's the final judgment that, that provides extra fuel for that because I'm gonna stand before God with what I did on my Wednesday. You're gonna stand before God with those quiet moments that you think no one else sees. You're gonna stand before God with that. Each and every one of us are. And don't hear that as an invitation to hide more. Hear that as an invitation to run to God. To run to this God who knows already and meets you. And the reality and the inevitability of the final judgment of God, it actually compels us to tell other people the good news of Jesus. Like, how do we just walk past our neighbors and, and like, you believe that and we believe this and that's okay. Like, no, the final the judgment of God tells us that every single person, every single person is going to stand before this God. And for people who believe the word of God, Second Peter tells us like, like God doesn't want that any, any, any should perish, but that all, that all should reach repentance. You see, it is without question, without question that there is a final judgment happening. Every page of scripture gives us this. And we were talking the other day of like, man, we could spend our entire time just putting, listing every single verse and putting it on screen and just say, we're going to read this and we're all going to walk out and we're all going to be better people for it. And we're all going to believe, right? Except there's something in us that is rotten and doesn't want to look at it. We're like, the end of the day isn't that the Bible is like, oh, the Bible's not clear on that. The Bible is crystal clear on that. All of us have this sin in us that's like, I'd rather not think about it. 
And you see, that's the issue. It's sin, right? Because sin starts to twist things around. Did God really say that? And, and is hell really this? And we start twisting it up and like, hell's just a place that God created apart from earth or apart from heaven. Hell's just a place that God created so that he could swap people on the, the hand forever. And that he'd be really uh, mean out punishment. And we start twisting it up and, and now we're starting to think, well, God is this mean and vengeful God. And, and that's just not the story of scripture. The gospel story tells us that over and over, in ways small and in ways loud, God has made clear the way to mercy. He's made clear the way to mercy. Every kid's group, every kid's group uh, has this and talks about it. We all talk about Noah and the ark, but there's only one way. It is in the ark. It's the God's provided way to be saved. God has made it clear in big ways and in quiet ways for each and every one of us that we would believe, that we would trust and believe that there is no hope in this earth or the next. There is no other way. But we don't like it because we don't like limits and we don't like accountability. We don't like people telling us our stuff stinks. We don't like people telling us like, oh, you're not the best person on earth. Or you don't have all these things together. We don't like that. We, we, we want to think like, oh, I just want to be true to the real me. I want to do my stuff. Who are you to tell me that? We even, we even see people, like, we love that, like, only God can judge me, except I don't like God judging me either. We've, we've moved away from this. And here's where we come back to it. And here's why it's so important to us, because verses 2 and 3 tell us something really important in our text. It says, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come. While, while people are standing in the middle of a hurricane with an umbrella saying, oh, I'm good, this is great, isn't it? I love being at the beach. Life is good, I have enough stuff in my bank account. Life is good, I've got uh, enough friends. Life is good, I, I drive the right car, I live in the right house, or I do these types of things. Life is good, everything's okay. We live in the West and there's no war around us. Everything's okay. And we distract ourselves with all sorts of things to make us feel like everything's okay. And the Bible makes it clear everything is not okay apart from Jesus. You see, the problem is more than just, hey, my eye was having a problem. Like, the, like I, I put it in a picture of, like, we need a biblical eye exam. But see, our condition is worse than, than my condition of my eye. Our condition isn't just that we're sick and we need medicine. Our condition is that we are dead and we need life. We don't just need a quick fix. We don't need nice behavior. We, we don't need uh, some medicine to make us better people. That's what religion leads us to, of just clean up your act and you've got this. No, the Bible tells us in, in no uncertain terms that we are dead in our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Our problem is that we try to minimize, or we try to ignore it, we try to run from these truths, and we try to act like it's never happened, but, that, but it's not possible. It's not possible in your home, it's not possible in your city, it's not possible at your work. You will be held accountable, and it is not possible in this life. It is not possible. 
as we've seen, as we talk about, as the whole story of Scripture points to it, it testifies that there's a king whose word has the final say. And this text is a warning for us. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and see. Verse 4 says this. First Corinthians, or First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, are drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Friends, here's the encouragement in this. Well, first of all, Paul, like Paul is at his peak mixing metaphors right here. Paul's thrown in all the metaphors. He's like night and day in breastplates and helmets and drunk and sober and all these things. And Paul is just like kitchen sink with metaphors right now. And I love it. I love it. I love it. So he's given all of us. But don't, don't lose sight of this. He, he says, brothers. Brothers. This is a letter written to believers. This is a letter written to those saying, here's the hope. Here's why you should be encouraged. You're not people who have forgotten about the hurricane. You're not people who have missed out on this. You're not people of darkness. You're people of light. You're people of light. You've been made aware of these things. Don't act, don't live like you're not. Don't, and that's where the sobriety, don't live like drunk people in this. Like, we're not talking alcohol in this. We're talking about our mindset that's just fooled by all sorts of things. You're not people of darkness, you're people of light. But see, that's the problem, right? The other day when my eye was exploding, it was like a chainsaw was in my eye, I couldn't do anything with light. I didn't want anything to do with light. I'm like, screaming about all of this stuff that's light. And, and our sin is, is such a nasty thing because our sin leads us to want to close our eyes to the light. It leads us to want to hide from all of those things and not deal with it. In fact, our sin makes it painful even to see the light. It makes it painful for that. But you're not, you're not people of the dark. That's, that's the hope here. You're not people of the dark. Brother, sister, this is for you. It's not calling you to go hide out in a cave. It's saying live among the people that God has left you with and then bring hope and life and joy and a warning. Bring them this truth. That the time is coming when God's heavenly kingdom will come to reign. I don't know when that is. I don't, know, I don't know the day when Jesus will deal with the, all the corrosive powers of sin and death in all of us, whether you went to church every day of your life or you didn't, all of us will stand before the living God, the name that is above every name. 
And I can hear it. I hear it in the tension. You can feel it in those tension points. You feel that stuff. And I, there, there's a fantastic book that, that writes around these kind of tough questions that we have. It's like, man, but isn't God going to, like, give people a second chance? And I want you to see from this, this is from Joshua Ryan Butler, his fantastic book, The Skeleton in God's Closet. He addresses this. He says, but aren't there second chances? Who doesn't feel that? I feel that. Like, aren't there second chances? The question often arises, can I, can I reject God now and wave the flag right before I die? Like, ollie, ollie, oxen free. God, let me off. I made it. Tie goes to runner. Can I just wave the flag right before I die? To ask the question this way, however, is misleading. It reveals that we probably don't actually want God. We don't actually want the kingdom that God has. We don't want that king. If we profess freedom from God now, what makes us think will change our mind when his kingdom comes? If we harden our hearts towards his presence today, why would we expect tomorrow to be different. Friends, as a person who has to sit under these words, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a pastor, like, all of this is true in my life and in yours. God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. He's not pushing you away. He's not standing there and saying, you better be ready for this test. He's giving you every answer to the test. God wants you and me to know him. It's so much so that he sent his son. He sent his son in a quiet manger. He sent his son who lived a sinless life. He sent his son to a cross. He sent his son to a tomb. He sent his son to raise up from that tomb. And he's sending his son again. He's sending his son again. This is, this is good news for us. This is the loving warning of a good, good father. Whatever tomorrow brings. Trust this king. Those who haven't looked to Jesus for their salvation, and by that I mean to, like, to deal with sin and guilt, to deal with it, the fact that each of us have fallen short of, the, of holiness, of holiness. Those uncovered without the shelter of that sacrifice, like to each of, uh, of those who have, haven't looked to Jesus. The Bible is clear. It says that each of us will be judged according to what we have done. To those who believe in Jesus, you will also be judged. Romans 14 says that you'll stand before the judgment seat of God to give an account of yourself, each of us. But the final judgment for believers, the final judgment for believers is not like, how good is your basket? How much stuff were you able to collect? 
How, how much did you get? And did you tie the right bow on that? Did you sit up straight at church? Did you show up enough? Did you do all the right things? The final judgment spoken over believers will not be one of punishment, but will be one of reward. That there is now no condemnation for those who are in and covered by Christ. That's the word of God. And our hearts should be encouraged by it. Every sin that we have committed has been eternally paid by Christ Jesus, the sacrifice. And therefore, we are eternally forgiven by God. And so hear these words from John chapter 5, the words of Jesus, that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Will you pray with me, please?